Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome back to another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. So glad that you have joined me as we dive into the Gospels as we're looking at the life of Jesus in chronological order. So today is podcast 57 and the title is Only God Can Purify the Heart. So we find ourselves now in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 verses 34 all the way to chapter 15 to verse 20 and then Mark 6 53 all the way to chapter 7 to verse 23. So once again we find ourselves having to cover a lot of information so let's just jump right into it and understand what has taken place and what is about to take place. So rumors were spreading. If you remember, if you go back to the previous podcast and don't feel bad if you've forgot, even if you're listening up to this point, I myself forget and I have to sometimes go back and understand what just took place again. What, what was the podcast that we covered? What passes of scripture was that found? So let me just kind of bring us up to speed. So remember, rumors were spreading. They were going all over the region about Jesus. Remember, one of the big things he had done with thousands of people involved was the feeding of the 5,000. And remember, they wanted to make him king, so he split and took off with the disciples. They arrive in Gennesaret, and he starts performing miracles there. And this wasn't just catching the attention of the, the, the people, you know, the crowd, but it was also getting the attention of the religious leaders. And so what they decided to do, the Pharisees and Sadducees, is they brought with them the scribes. Now, these were the all-stars. Think of like the LeBrons, you know, of the NBA. These were the top individuals. These men were the most brilliant of all scholars when it came to the law. And so they bring now the scribes, and they did this because they wanted to silence Jesus. So that's where we pick things up in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 53 and 56. Now, the cross-referencing is Matthew 14, 34 through 36, but I'm just going to read the Mark passage and then just kind of, as always, jump around uh, where Matthew may add something or Mark and, and read it and kind of give us some context. So Mark 6 says this in verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that Jesus was going to be. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So now Matthew 14, verse 34, when it says that they crossed over, they came to Gennesaret. Now remember, Gennesaret was a small plot of fertile land. It was about you know, a few miles between Capernaum and, and Tiberias. Now, this was the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this was also known as Genosar. It was an area where Jesus oftentimes went, and he performed miracles. So there was nothing new with this incident. Plus, it's important to understand, as we're looking at the context, that when the Pharisees bringing the scribes came to this area, it was a common area that Jesus would go, and so they wanted to intercept that. Okay, So it was a location that was very familiar to Jesus, and they knew that. In Matthew 14, 35, it says, when the men of that place recognized him. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, there was nowhere where he could go that people wouldn't know who he was. 
and the signs and wonders that he did. So remember, they're wanting him to be king. They want him to do more performances. They want food. They want physical things. And so people were going crazy for these signs and wonders. And in Mark 6, 55, says the whole region began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Now, this description points to the amount of sickness. I want you to understand that. I mean, when I was looking at thinking about it, just even thinking where I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and if we heard of a, a miracle worker, how many people in the state of mind we're at today with the conditions where people you know, suffering from cancer and other illnesses and diseases would bring the sick, would bring these people to this miracle worker. In this case, all these sick people, and not only that, but demonization that was plaguing this region. They're coming. They're desperate. And this explains why Jesus oftentimes came to this area to heal the people. So for whatever reason, we don't we don't know in context. I could just, you know, speculate, but when you're looking at the totality of Jesus' ministry, without question, you see how many times he interacted, he encountered, he rebuked, he exercised his authority over demons. So there was no doubt there was a lot of demonization that was taking place in this region for whatever particular reason. And then as I read before in verse 56 of Mark 6, it says, wherever Jesus went, he went into villages, into larger areas like cities or the countryside away from the villages. They would lay the sick. So whether it was a small uh, town, farm country, if you will, to the marketplace itself, there were sick people everywhere. And they implored him that he might even just touch the fringe of his garment. Now, the people that did touch Jesus, they were made well. So now, without question, if you and I go back and we remember the story in Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, remember the story of the woman who was bleeding severely for years and spent all of her money? She came, remember, to Jesus. And she even said within her own heart, remember, like, I don't have to speak to Jesus. He doesn't have to speak to me. I'm just going to touch his garment and it will heal me. Now, the people display that same kind of great faith in the healing power of Jesus here, which is another reason why Jesus came to this area. They were plagued, certainly, by a lot of sickness and diseases and demonization, but they also exemplified great faith. They recognized many of these people in Gennesaret recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Now, that's going to be important because what we're going to talk about on this podcast today about tradition. Now, this miraculous power, remember, would eventually be displayed in an individual's life known as Paul the Apostle. You see that in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. And also remember Peter's shadow in Acts chapter 5, verse 15. So Jesus displays that power when you go back to Matthew chapter 9 with a woman who was bleeding to now here in our passage in Mark 6 at Gennesaret, later with two apostles, Paul and Peter. So that's pretty cool. So that's the first event. It kind of sets the mark as what's happening. Jesus is there showing love. He's bringing healing. He's doing great wonders that only God can do through an individual because he's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. And yet we see now as we turn to Matthew 15 verses 1 through 20 in Mark 7, 1 through 23, what's going to happen as a result. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to just read through Mark and then just touch on the passage in Matthew 15, again, as there are certain things that Matthew may emphasis that Mark doesn't and vice versa. So Mark chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Okay, so let me jump to Matthew 15, verse 1, where it says the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they come from the temple and they want to confront Jesus at Gennesaret. So they travel long distance with this official delegation, right, that came to figure out what Jesus is talking about. How is he performing these miracles? Why are people following him? And ultimately, how can we put an end? How can we stop Jesus. Matthew 15 verse 2 says, why do your disciples, this is a question that they pose him as they confront him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Interesting question. Why do they start the question like that? Now notice the accusation to follow. They say, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. So they have been watching and learning and studying what Jesus is doing as well as what his disciples do. Because remember, that's a reflection So the religious leaders, they were enforcing their tradition on Jesus. That's how they started this conversation. They didn't start with scripture. They started with their tradition. And Jesus was outside of that, obviously. Now, these traditions, they mostly came down from oral tradition. So what they're saying is, in essence, by asking this question, they know that, Jesus, you were not trained by us. So you're not officially one of us. You're not part of the delegation. You are not an official rabbi. And your disciples now, as a result of your own carelessness, are doing things, they're practicing things that are not approved by our, what? Traditions. Now, one of the things that the Jewish leaders took very seriously was the ceremonial washing. 
a Jewish rabbi had written in past, it said that he sinneth as much as who eateth with unwashen hands as he that lieth with a harlot. Could you imagine that? A lot of the tradition leading up to this point of Jesus was if you were unwashed, if you do not go through the ceremonial washing that was approved by the Jewish leaders, it's likened to an individual who has sex with a harlot, with a prostitute. That was 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 how big it was. So when you go back to Mark 7, verse 2, when they saw, that is the Jewish leader, saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled because they weren't washed, they're basically putting them on par of a sexual immoral person. So that so again, in our Western mind, when we do read this, we're thinking, what's the big deal? But now that we understand the context, we understand why they came at Jesus with that kind of a question because they were deep in that tradition. Now in Mark 7, 3 and 4 it says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. So notice, that's what they do. Therefore, they're enforcing their rules, their traditions on Jesus and his disciples. Remember, Jesus wasn't approved by them. Jesus didn't go to them to start his ministry. That came from the Father who spoke when he was baptized publicly by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descended to him, descended on him, remember? And the voice said from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So this outward display of washing Okay, was meant by the religious leaders to purify an individual. So that's what they were, they were showing. Now, if you go back to previous podcasts, when we look at the teaching and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, we talked about, and particularly in Matthew 6, about how people do public things. You know, they publicly fast and they publicly pray and they publicly give to show the people how righteous, how good of a person they were. Well, these outward cleansing, ceremonial washings was the same thing. Now, this ritual, though, and many other things, we know that doesn't make a person pure. It simply may make them feel like I'm doing something to be approved, to look good, to appeal to other people, to be right with God, supposedly. But we know in the end, it doesn't. And Jesus is going to set the record straight. Now, one of the commentaries writes this, quote, the, the ritual washing regulations were observed by the Pharisees and all the Jews, which is a generalization depicting their custom, as part of the tradition of the elders which they followed scrupulously. These interpretations, designed to regulate every aspect of Jewish life, were considered as binding as the written law and were passed on to each generation by faithful law teachers or scribes. Later in the 3rd century, the oral tradition was collected and codified in the Mishnah, which in turn provided the foundation for and structure of the Talmud. The most common ritual cleansing was the washing of one's hands with a handful of water, a formal practice required before eating food. This was especially important after a trip to the marketplace, where a Jew would likely come in contact with an unclean Gentile or such things as money or utensils, end quote. So it puts things in perspective. Remember, in context, as you and I are reading this, Jesus is healing people in the marketplace and they came from Jerusalem the religious leaders with the scribes to Jesus so they're defiling themselves so you can imagine in the context of scripture Matthew Mark they don't mention this but if that's the case then they were cleansing themselves as they go there and of course they're going to make a big spectacle of cleansing themselves as they leave can you imagine that for a second before we look at Mark 7 that here you have these human beings, these fallen, sinful, prideful, arrogant religious leaders who cleanse themselves after they encounter Jesus. 
after they rebuke Jesus for not following their tradition. Man, just think of the arrogance of that. So now Mark 7, verse 6 and 7 says, Jesus is referring now to Isaiah. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? So notice they pose a question on tradition to Jesus and confront him and attack his disciples. We've been watching your disciples. They don't wash their hands when they eat. That's forbidden. Jesus responds by giving them scripture. He says, Isaiah, didn't he prophesy of you hypocrites saying, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me? teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, Jesus came out strong. Uh, you know, they came out strong. He comes out stronger against the accusations of the leaders. He calls out these trivial pursuits to be righteous and points out their false worship and bondage. You guys think by physically taking water and physically washing yourself that that's going to purify the soul? You see, the disciples may have ignored the traditions of man, especially as they're now following Jesus. But the Pharisees, what were they disobeying? They were disobeying the very word of God that they knew, especially the scribes. One commentary writes, such action had been described by Isaiah centuries before in Isaiah 29, 13. What, what you know, again, what Jesus was quoting earlier. It says, their religion had become a matter of action and man-made rules. Their hearts were far from God and consequently their worship was in vain. Literally it means, it's matin, means fruitless or futile. An adjective used only here in Matthew 15 verse 9. And in the parallel passage of Mark 7, 7 is a variation of the more common adjective mateoios without results or futile. So in the end, all of the stuff that the religious leaders were doing was in vain. It was futile. It was fruitless. It brought no more holiness or purity to their hearts. And yet they were enforcing it because they themselves had not only established their own tradition, but dare I say, they created their own holiness, false holiness, of course. Now, Mark 7 verse 8 says, you lead the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. This explains the blindness of the religious leaders as well as their hatred for Jesus. You see, during the 400 years of silence, what had happened was man had erected his own religion with its tradition. They neglected the prophets of old and they felt that they needed new views or they needed a new take on the Jewish scriptures, new interpretations, right? And new customs, new traditions. Just like when Moses went to the mountain to be with God and to bring back the commandments, what did they do with Aaron? They, they, they got all their belongings and they built a golden calf and they began to worship because they were just so desperate. And that's what the Jewish leaders led the people to do. And if, if you've been with me through our entire study of the Gospels, uh, I, I encourage you, if, if you haven't listened to it already, but go back to the very beginning when I talk about the intertestamental period of how the Pharisees and Sadducees came about eventually. Um, you know, so that would give you some insight there. So, you know, fast forward now, hundreds of years later, and by this time of Jesus, you have generations upon generations who were knee deep in tradition. And so they weren't, inter and they weren't interpreting scripture properly. They weren't following it, which again, my friend puts things in context of understanding why the religious leaders missed the Messiah. They knew the scriptures, but they were so wrapped up into the tradition that they neglected to see Jesus, who is the Word incarnate. And Mark 7, verse 9 says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. I love that. So let me read 
verses 8 and 9 again in Mark 7. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Jesus exposes their pillar of legalism. Removing the word of God, that's what you've done, and you've replaced it with man's traditions. See, Jesus wasn't against all traditions. That's important to point out. He wasn't against all traditions, especially the ones that pointed back to God. You see, my friend, good traditions are a means of bringing God's word to the forefront. So I want you to think about in your own life. Again, I don't know what, you may not be a, a Christian. You may be of a different religion. You're just intrigued and interested in hearing a podcast like this that covers God's word. You may be a seeker. But I want you to understand that in Christianity, as Jesus is rightly rebuking these religious leaders fault, you know, for their false beliefs and tradition, you and I can try to make things right with ourselves and a holy God, but we'll get nowhere in the end. We don't negotiate with God and we don't try to be good because there's, no, there's nothing good in us. We need the word of God to cleanse our hearts. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us clean of our sin. We need to confess that we're sinners, that we're in need of a savior. And when we repent of our sin, we can get right with God. But it's just so sad that these religious leaders, they didn't care about God's word. An old uh, Talmudic writer put it this way. He says, quote, The words of the scribes are lovely above the words of the law. For the words of the law are weighty and light, but the words of the scribes are all weighty. The words of the elders are weightier than the words of the prophets, end quote. So you see what they've done? Just like when they said, if you don't wash your hands, you're like a harlot or in a sexual moral person who sleeps with a harlot. And if you don't follow our traditions, then you are neglecting the truth, the authority, because it wasn't just on par of the Jewish scriptures. They were taking their tradition above that. So notice what Jesus says. He says here, he says, whatever you would have gained for me as Corbin, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So what he does is in Mark 7, 11 through 13, he brings back the word of God. In this, in this sense, he's referring to the fifth commandment, remember, which is to honor your father and mother, Exodus 20, 12, Deuteronomy 5, 16. And he's saying what you guys have done now is you've also hijacked, not just misinterpreted, but you've hijacked the scripture to place in your own traditions, in this case, this term Corbin. And what, what, what this meant, what was going on here, why Jesus uses as an example, is he's saying, you're taking the tradition, our own tradition as Jews, where children are expected to look after their parents after they age and they're not responsible and they're, you know, they're getting older and they need someone to take care of them. But what was happening was the religious leaders, they employed a way for people to declare their money Right, their possessions and give it to God, give it to the temple, give it to the local synagogue. And therefore, if they do that and they invoke this thing called Corbin, they weren't obligated to care for their parents. Now, this was a deceitful tactic, which was a way for religious leaders to what? To make money for their temple treasury. And it would leave many elderly people uncared for. So this law was that we know to take care of, of, of your parents because of the fifth commandment was a big deal, right? Leviticus 25, 35 through 43 lays it out. But what the Jewish leaders would do is when they would allow Jewish people to invoke this term Corbin, it was like an offering that was consecrated to God. It was like this beautiful thing that surpassed their loyalty and their responsibility to, to care for their parents. 
So what they were doing was they were taking Corbin, again, a deceitful tactic based on man's tradition, and it would usurp the fifth commandment in Scripture. So that's how far-fledged these religious leaders were going. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 10, 11, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So this is the first parable that Jesus gives after dealing with the religious leaders. You know, He turns his attention now to the crowds, and he wants to teach them about true godliness because, again, they've been indoctrinated with these traditions for far too long about what defiles a person and what actually cleanses a person. So these principles that Jesus was setting out, this will revolutionize not only in his time period, but the early church to come because what they would do eventually is these Jewish men and women, they would start abandoning, they will start abandoning the Old Testament food laws. And this would be made clear in passages like Acts chapter 10 verses 9 through 29 when God will remove the cultural restrictions regarding certain foods. And then Matthew 15, 12 when the disciples came to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, you just ticked off the Pharisees. You offended them. And what's interesting about this is as though Jesus wasn't aware of that. Of course, he knew that because he publicly rebuked them. And the disciples here, they were more concerned about Jesus upsetting the religious leaders than the very truth that Jesus spoke to them, which oftentimes is our case as well, isn't it? We see the scriptures, we hear the scriptures, whether it's in church and hearing from a pastor or listening to this podcast right now, but then we get so caught up in the things that are happening in the world or what other people say. But my friend, what we have to understand is we're going through this right now, just like Jesus rebuked the religious leaders, we have to be open for rebuking too when it comes to us neglecting what the scriptures teaches for something else. And that's what he was saying. Now, the second parable he says in Matthew 15, 13, he says, every plant that my, my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. So what was he speaking about? He was speaking clearly about the Pharisees' traditions. They, they will not last. They will be uprooted by God. And then in verse 14 in Matthew 15, he says, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So what it asks us to be saying to the disciples is, yes, they're upset because they're blind. And if you want to follow their traditions, you're going to be blind as well. So this third parable is very clear from Jesus. The Pharisees have refused to listen and obey the word of God. Why? Because they're stubborn and they're blind. And their way leads to destruction, while God's way leads to eternal life. And once again, Peter boldly speaks up and he says, Lord, explain this parable to us. Now again, what's so cool about Peter is while the other disciples remain silent, he doesn't. He wants clarification. The other thing I find interesting, my friend, about Matthew 15, verse 15, of Peter speaking up saying, explain the parable to us, is what will happen eventually to Peter. Well, as I mentioned earlier, in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 15, he will receive a vision in Acts 10. And that vision is from God himself declaring to him the change of food laws. What he has made clean now is clean. And not only that, but later on in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we see that Peter refuses to socialize and associate himself with Gentile Christians because he believes them to be defiled. So here's the beginning point of lessons that Peter learns about what is pure and what is impure. And he still has lessons to learn later on as he's an apostle. Now, the last thing is, as we close out this podcast in Matthew 15, 19 through 20, notice Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual morality, all of these things, slander, false witness. Mark 7, and 23 adds coveting, wickedness, deceit, pride, foolishness. 
And he says, all these evil things come from within. So a wicked heart and a sinful immoral acts, all these is what makes a person unclean, not because they fail to wash their hands before they eat. Tradition attempts to clean up a life when only God can purify the heart. So my friend, as we close out this episode today, my prayer for you is that you get right with God. If there's something in your life right now that's hindered your relationship with God, and that's one of my prayers ongoing on this podcast is to pray for my listeners, to pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling. It's not ritualism. It's not tradition that's going to draw you closer to him. It's getting right to him. It's getting right with God directly. Jesus has given us that access. And when you and I open the pages of God's word, like we did right now in this podcast, let God speak to you. Don't let man-made tradition interfere and have a false righteousness or a false purity. Christ rebuked that right here with the religious leaders. And what did he do? He took our sins to the cross. He died for you and for me. And he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again so that you and I can have life, a resurrected life. That's eternal life. So be blessed, my friends. Thank you for listening. Love you guys. And I'll see you on the next episode. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening. And keep standing strong in the word of God.